Welcome. Uh, my name is Rick Swing. I'm the executive pastor here. Our pastor, Kenneth Bruce, is on a trip out west. I don't know why anybody would want to hike the Grand Canyon, um, especially with a bunch of teenagers. There's no way, but he, that's where he's headed. Uh, he's on the road today. He should arrive out there sometime today. So you be praying for Pastor Kenneth as he enjoys um, the wild, wild west. And I told him not to get lost in those canyons because I really don't want to come looking for him. So you pray that he, get back, he gets back safely. If you're watching online, thank you so much for tuning in with us this morning. We pray that your experience is a great one. We just challenge you online to examine your heart about the person of Jesus. It's really, really important. Um, this morning, let me make one correction. I know, I think Scott left. Um, it's first time I think he'd been our host this morning. Um, the senior darts are not meeting on the 4th of July, all right, for their... Um, uh, potluck and for their worship service. It'll be the following Tuesday, July 11th. So if you're a senior adult or if you look like a senior adult or you want to just get free food, you come on July 11th. We'll, we'll, we'll love on you. We'll sing some hymns. There'll be a short little devotional and then we'll go eat afterwards. Amen? We get that out of the way? All right, there's three words I want you to remember. So, you know, at the end of each service when we preach, Many times we'll have this impact point, right? It's what we want you to take home with you at the end, like what to remember. Here, I'm going to give you the impact point at the very beginning. Is that okay? This is what I want you to... Re then I can close in prayer and we can all go home. <clears throat> I know, I know what you're thinking. Here's the impact point. There's three words. The words are seek, deny, and embrace. Seek, deny, and and embrace. I want you to say them with me. Seek, deny, and embrace. One more time. Seek, deny, and embrace. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Everybody there? So if you go to the New Testament... And you get past the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, keep going to the right, you're going to come to the book of Colossians. We're going to be there. Somebody asked me once, because I don't preach on a regular basis, they say, well, Rick, how do you come up with whatever you're going to preach? Do you have a subject matter and then you find scripture? And nine times out of 10 for me, it's wherever I'm at in my quiet time, right? It's what God is telling me in my quiet time and how he's challenging me that's kind of where I land when it comes to a sermon. So I've been in the book of Colossians over the last month, just reading verse by verse and just taking it apart. And what's God really trying to tell me through that? So today, this is one of my devotionals. Is that okay? All right. It's just God teaching me. and I'm just going to kind of up for you this morning. All right. Colossians 3, and I'll be in verses 1 through 17. The title of my sermon is Clarity in the presence of confusion. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist today. I don't watch the news anymore. I just don't. Now, the weather sometimes, you know, obviously down here in the south, I need to know if my home's going to be taken up by a tornado. I'll watch the weather. But other than James Spann, typically I don't watch the news. And you know why? Because there's nothing ever anything good that's on the news. Our world is upside down. There's so much confusion in our world, whether it be politically or, or whether it be culturally in our world or spiritually 
in our world. There's so much confusion. And when I was thinking about this sermon, I, I started to think back at the days where I felt like my life had um, a little more clarity. There wasn't as much confusion. There was, there was absolutes in my life. And it was easier. And I think back to my elementary days. Now, I'm not going to tell you exactly. Well, I'm 66. So it was, a it was back in the 60s I was in elementary days, right? So I can remember back then about what life was like in, in a way. I don't remember all of it, but I do remember certain things. I remember, for instance, back in the 60s, I, I, it felt like in elementary school, recess lasted all day. I don't ever remember going to a class except Mrs. Zobrist. I just don't. I remember being the kickball champion. And it seems like we played recess all the time back in those days. My teachers were strict, especially the one that I remember, Mrs. Zobris. I got one paddling. Back then we paddled. They paddled in school. Y'all remember that? Yeah. So if you're old enough, you remember. The principal could actually paddle you. Now they'll put him in jail for his life if he does something like that. I got paddled because I told Mrs. Zobrist that she was wrong. Okay. I forget what it was about. I don't remember. I'm glad I don't remember. But I told her she was wrong about something. And the next thing I knew is the principal had this paddle out that had like his name engraved on it and holes in it. I got worn out. I remember to, I, I, back then we walked to school as kids, okay? I'm a third grader or a first or second grader and my parents didn't take me to school. We would come out of our house and my neighbors, we'd all walk to school. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. It wasn't like three miles and three feet of snow and that kind of stuff. But it was like a half a mile. And my, basically, my mom gave me my lunch, ba my, my lunch bag and said, we'll see you after school. It's pretty simple back then. I had a crush on Penny. I remember that. Um, and I remember Rose um, because she cut in line all the time. I used to get mad at Rose. My mom would tell us to get out of the house and don't come back until dark. Remember those days? It was pretty simple. You're not going to come in there uh, uh, because my mom was a stay-at-home mom and, and her job was to make sure the home was ready, right? When dad got home, that the food was cooked. And so us kids, we just got in the way. And so we would leave in the morning after breakfast and literally not come back until nighttime. I mean, what kind of parents did we have back then? <laughs> I mean, right? Today, again, you'd be thrown in jail for the rest of your life if you let your kids do that. A pair of Chuck Taylor Canvas All-Stars were the greatest Christmas gift ever back in those days. We played outside. We worked out conflict among ourselves. Y'all remember that? Had a boy in the neighborhood that used to pick on me. Well, I worked it out. Okay, I can tell you how I worked it out, but I worked it out. We worked out the conflict. Boys were boys, and we're told they were boys, and girls were girls who had cooties, and when they were told they were girls, right? I can remember when we all cried, all of us, whether you were Republican or Democrat, when President Kennedy got shot. I remember that in school. My teacher being told by the principal what had happened. And she told, and I didn't, I mean, I was like first grader, second grader. I, we all cried. 
All of us. The entire country did. We went to church a lot. A lot back then. Okay? Like three or four times a week. Three or four times a week. You know, sometimes we think about coming to church once and wow, man, that's, that's an effort. No. Back then, we went to church a lot. My parents' faith, I remember, was evident in the way they lived their lives out in front of us. As a child, there were expectations, there were consequences, and all of those helped who I am today. It was pretty simple. Right was right, and what? Wrong was wrong. Today, all those lines are so blurred. We live absolutely in a world, in a country, in a county, in a city that is confused. Paul experienced the same thing, the Apostle Paul. So here in the book of Colossians, Paul gets word from this man named Epaphras, who was probably the founder of this church in Colossae. Now, you may not know much about this church, but it was probably one of the, probably the least significant of all the churches that Paul wrote about. Probably fairly small. Paul had never been to this church. He was writing a letter to the church because Epaphras had told Paul there were certain things that were taking place within the community that was providing confusion with the people of God. He wrote this book to express his own personal interest in this church and to warn them about the danger of returning back to their former selves. In other words, this new faith that they had found in Jesus now was being inundated with false teaching. And I'll get to that in a moment. Paul's greatest purpose of this book was to set forth the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ in their lives. I want to remind us today that the same thing that took place in this church in Colossae, I think we, as the body of Christ, need to be reminded about because I don't think the modern-day church is much different than the old church back in the, old, in the New Testament times. We just have different issues, right? We're just dealing with different things along the way. And if you look in Colossians chapter 1, in fact, go there for just a second. Colossians chapter 1, I thought this was interesting. And I may just preach a sermon before I ever get to the sermon. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, this is what Paul says to the people he are, he's writing to. To the saints in who? In Christ at Colossae, who are what? Faithful brothers. Okay, so get this in your mind. You may consider yourself faithful. I've got a relationship with Jesus. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to bring my family to church. I try to have a study time with the Lord. I'm trying to, to have this prayer. I'm trying to do these things. I, I consider myself faithful. Paul considered these people faithful. And yet, 
He's writing this letter to them because he is concerned that they're going to walk away from this person of Jesus Christ in their life. So he's not writing to people who are wishy-washy or who are on the fence to begin with. He says, these people are faithful Christian brothers. So I don't want us ever to think as the body of Christ that we're immune to the things of this world of coming into the body of Christ, of coming into the local church and not being influenced by it. Amen? So I don't want to have any of these delusions whatsoever. And I don't want us to sit here and, and, and become pious and go, that can never happen to me because the sooner, as soon as you say that, Satan's got a foothold in your life. He's got a thumb, a thumb on you and he's going, you want to bet? Let's see how this works. So here's Paul. He's writing this book to the church of Colossae. In chapter 1, he uses chapter 1 to encourage them about the decision they had made in Jesus. In chapter 2, he, he, he lets them know that he's concerned about these false teaching and that they should not, they should not bow down to that false teaching. And here was kind of the false teaching. It's kind of interesting. It wasn't that these false teachers were denouncing Jesus. It wasn't like they were saying, Jesus isn't who he is. What they were saying was, it can't be just Jesus. It must be Jesus plus maybe some of the old Mosaic law. It, it, it's Jesus plus some of the old traditions that we had and we don't want to let go of. Or maybe it was Jesus Plus, maybe this higher knowledge, maybe this meditation, maybe something that's metaphysical in their lives. Or maybe it was Jesus plus some of the, the, the food restrictions that they had back in those days. And what's Paul going? Paul's going, no, 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 no. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Totally. It's just him. It's just him. Okay, there's two truths I want us to begin with this morning as we dig in a chapter here. Here's truth one. I don't know if we have this on the board. Do we have this on the board? We don't. Okay, so if you have notes, I want you to kind of jot these down. Truth number one, in Jesus, you have been redeemed, set free, and set apart. Listen to me. If you have Jesus in your life, you have been redeemed because you have been, been, been brought from this darkness out of that darkness. Your life has been redeemed. There's been a price that's been paid for you. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. And you've also been set apart. Here's the verse. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Write this down. This is a great verse to memorize. It says, He has rescued us from the domain of of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves and in him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins let's just pause for a second you know there's a whole sermon within that one verse right there and it's a sermon of absolute victory in our lives he has rescued us he has delivered us from this dominion of darkness so what is that that word dominion is another word you could use 
the word power. So he has delivered me from the power of darkness or ungodliness in my life. This picture of being separated from God and the end result of that separation is hell. I've been delivered from that, this separation from God, this ungodliness in my life and the power that grips that. I've been separate, I've been set apart, I've been rescued from that. And I've been transferred, I've been moved into the kingdom of the son he loves. So what a great picture. I'm lost in darkness. I don't know Jesus. My outcome is hell. Because of Jesus coming into my life, I've been redeemed. I've been rescued from that. And now, in God's providence, he's moved me from that into this kingdom of Jesus, the son he loves. And in him, I've been redeemed from all the junk in my life. That's truth number one. And Paul reminds the people that's truth. Here's truth number two. That Jesus is preeminent. In other words, he has absolute supremacy over all creation and over all life. Remember, these false teachers are saying it's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus this and Jesus plus that. And Paul says, no, no, no. You and me, Rick, we have everything we need in the person of Christ. Everything. Look what it says here in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. He said, He is the image, meaning Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, I love this, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him, Jesus, all things are held together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness. Stop. For God was pleased to have all of God's fullness, everything that was about God, dwell in Christ. So everything that God is dwells now in the person of Jesus. Mm. And through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. When you have Christ living in you, you and I have everything we will ever, ever need in this world. I shouldn't fear what happens tomorrow because I have this fullness of the almighty God that rests in me because I have Christ in me. I shouldn't fear death. I shouldn't fear hard times or losing a job. And I know it's hard and we have anxiousness about that. And I know this week somebody called me about losing their job and I said, listen, God has this. Because I have the fullness of Christ, the fullness of God in my life. Jesus has redeemed 
set free and you and to set you apart and Jesus is preeminent. Those are two truths as a believer. If I can grasp those truths, it makes life so much different. So what's the question today? The question is, how do we find this clarity about my life in Christ in a confused, upside-down world? Colossians chapter 3. I feel like I've already preached the sermon. I'm starting to sweat. Okay, Colossians chapter 3. So Paul gets to this passage after he has, chapter 2, after he has confronted this apostasy, this, this picture of these false teachers about who Jesus is. And he comes to chapter 3, and he says three things in here that are the three words, to seek, deny, and what's the third one? To embrace, right? Here's the first thing he says. First thing. So when we think about clarity, how do we find it? The first thing we have to do is seek the presence of Jesus in your life. Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2. So if you have been raised with Christ, or you could say since you have been raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on what is above, not on what is the earth. The first thing, if I want clarity in my life, if I want clarity in the life of my family, the first thing I have to do is seek Christ. Remember in Colossians, I mean, Matthew 6, Jesus is, is, is preaching here and he's saying these words. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and whose righteousness? And his righteousness. And then it says, and all these things shall be what? Added on to you. So we seek first. The first thing we do is have this relationship that we have with Christ. It's this ongoing type of relationship that we have with Christ. We seek when we get back up when we fall. Amen? Okay, how many in here have fallen? When I mean fallen is that we have done things wrong that Christ would not be appreciative of. How many? Okay, the rest of you are liars. Okay. <laughs> I know, that was abusive. I'm sorry. <laughs> We all, right? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have this nature enough that we fight against all the time. And even though I have this fullness of God in my life, there is this battle that we have because my flesh is weak along the way. We get back up when we fall. That's one way that we seek. We're not defeated. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins, and to cleanse us from all of this junk, all of this unrighteousness in my life. It's a promise. Isaiah 43, verse 25, it says, It is I who sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's clap and let's walk out the door. He remembers my sins no more. So why is it I feel defeated at times? Why is it when I sin or I stumble or I fall or I don't do the right thing, we have this tendency to waller in it instead, instead of saying, Jesus, you've died for all that stuff and I have you in my life. Let's get back up and let's keep forging on. Amen? 
Yes. Yes. We get back up when we fall. And also we seek when we pursue righteousness in our lives. What is the right thing to do? Remember that we used to wear those bracelets. Y'all remember that? The WWJD. Remember that? I was a student pastor and I mean, I couldn't get enough of them. I was, hand, I, I thought, you know, that was a real spiritual thing. <laughs> Me handing out all my kids and my student ministry. And we'd all be wearing a WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? This picture of pursuing righteousness in my life to keep pursuing, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. They shall be filled. Amen? Amen. Y'all, it's not rocket science. I have grandkids. By the way, I went to the beach last week. 13 of us in one home. Whew. I looked over my, my, my son-in-law, Mitch, and my, our daughter, Danielle, who will be in the next service. And, and, and Mitch works you know, for a living, right? So he's out of the house. And my daughter, Danielle, she's staying home mom and taking care of the kids. And there's Mitch. It's day four of, of the week. And it's nine o'clock, and we're at this restaurant, and he's holding Porter, their eight-month-old, and his eyes are just <laughs> effort, right? Effort, effort. This picture of being filled to the brink. My grandkids, I love. I got five of them, and one on the way. And um, my oldest one, Elliot, she's four, going to be five here this fall. And she loves to play the game hide-and-seek. Y'all remember that? Hide-and-seek. And this is what she will do. So I'll go hide. And I'm a pretty good hider, you know? I'll find the laundry, and I'm underneath all the laundry in the house, you know? I'm over at their house, and I'm hiding. And I hear her counting, you know, one, two, and she's counting. And, you know, like, she continues to count. And I'm like, going, okay, enough's enough. I'm already hidden. All right, let's go. And she begins this, this hunting, this seeking. You know what? She won't stop until what? She finds me, right? She will not stop until she discovers where I am. Because there's this excitement about the hunt. Right? That's what it should be like in our life when it comes to the person of Christ. It's this picture of this hunger for who Jesus is, and I continue to seek him. It isn't seek him. I accept Jesus. I pray the prayer. I get baptized, and that's it. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. And by the way, remember who he's, teaching, he's preaching to here? Saints, right? Faithful who are getting ready to walk away from what they believe. Seek. Seek the presence of Jesus in your life. And if you're not seeking, you're not going to be able to do the second thing. Second thing is to deny. Deny the things that Christ has set you free from. Amen? Is that a one-time thing? No, right? Now, what Christ has set you free from when he redeemed you Maybe somewhat different than the things that he has set me from. But a sin is a sin. Amen? I don't know if we amen that, but sin is a sin. And so it may look different in your life, 
But I want you to know that he has set me free from those things. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8. It says, therefore, and why is there therefore? It's because of what we just learned in, in verses 1 through 4. Therefore, because you are seeking, Rick, therefore, put to death. Because you are seeking, Rick, you're able to put to death that which belongs to your worldly nature. And then he lists some. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things. You once walked in this picture of sin without conviction in your life about it. But now you must also put away all of the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and a filthy language from your mouth. Those are the things that sometimes we don't think about, right? Sexual immorality, Psh, not me. Use the Lord's name in vain because I'm on the golf course and my, and my shot doesn't go where I want. Well, that's a little thing. He says, put that away. Put away the little things in your life as well. And we deny when we, A, destroy the power of sin and its influence in your life. We destroy the power. That word death, in Colossians 3, 5, therefore put to death, that word death means to destroy or slay. We destroy the power of sin and its influence. Your old self before Jesus, that's what we put to death. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New what? Creature. The old is what? Gone. All things have become new, right? Yes. Let's just believe that in my life. Galatians 5, verse 24, Paul writes, now, the, now, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Why? Because of what Jesus did at the cross. His crucifixion destroyed the power of sin forever. Amen? You know, we were at the beach, and um, by the way, it was double red flags. You know, I've ever been to the beach and double red flags. You can't touch the water, right? So it became pool day every day. Pool day. Thankfully, we had a large pool, but it was interesting. Everybody was bringing their floats. You know, I mean, it was a big, big pool. Everybody was bringing their floats, and there was like a graveyard of floats. Like people would just leave them there. It's amazing. They all ended up in the same place. I thought of, about our lives. You know, when we're walking our own path, when we're, we're not relying upon the fullness of Christ in my, in my life, and we're trying to do it my way instead of God's way, we begin to, to, to drift, right? We sort of lose purpose on who we are, and we just sort of drift. It's amazing how we all end up in the same place, apart from God. All of us, me included. You begin to, to live this life in your own strength, in your own power, and, and, you, and, and, you, and less in, in the power of Christ. And all of a sudden, what God has created me to be in my life and how to have this relationship with it kind of gets put aside, and we just begin to drift. All those floats ended up in the same place because of the current. Taking them away from what their purpose was. That's what it is in our lives. We must destroy the power of sin and its influence. We deny when we do that. And then we got to practice the power of a resurrected life. I don't know how much time I've got. Not a lot of time. i got to move. This would be a sermon one day. This point will be a sermon. 
We deny when we practice the power of a resurrected life. By the way, this is how people can overcome great odds. This right here. Ephesians 1 verses 18 through 21. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe? His immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the work of his vast strength. He demonstrated that power, this immeasurable power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the heavens. As a believer in Christ, do I have the fullness of God in my life? We already discussed that. It's the truth, right? I do. Because of that, I have this immeasurable power 